Welcome to the Brave Church Podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us. Wherever you're listening from, we hope you're encouraged and inspired by today's message. Wow. Um, Pastor, uh, Pastor David, I love you, man. And uh, It's only the beginning. You know, we're years into it. Um, so, so we're seeing the, the and I'm going to talk about that today. If you stick with it and you just keep building and adding, like as the Lord leads and just building, like building blocks so people can, it's very simple. Discipleship is very simple. We just want to change people's lives so they can change somebody else's life. It's very simple, but you could equip, equip the people. And as we equip them for the work of the Lord, uh, then it just keeps increasing. And then eventually what happens is an anointing of multiplication hits. And then it just takes a life of its own. It's already starting. And in the next year, it, it's going to be amazing. But within three years from now, uh, you're you, either you can just this is going to be way too small. Uh, so you got to figure out what the Lord would have you do as far as next steps. And you need to prepare for that because it's going to happen. It happened to us. And it's and the same thing's going to happen here. Uh, maybe this becomes a broadcast campus. You plan a whole bunch of campuses. However that looks, uh, you need to prepare now because it's coming. Come on, clap like revival the scent of revival i'm going to talk to you uh, on a subject um and then we're going to watch the other half of the super bowl i don't think you know this is how you know we're in revival it is super bowl sunday and wow i I don't wow (laughs) wow (laughs) look at your neighbor and go wow wow okay so so I, 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 I kind of saved this message. You know, God works in mysterious ways, they say. So I saved this message because I thought whoever's, whoever's coming tonight can handle what I'm about to drop. I, f- I feel like drop it like it's hot off the pole <laughs> from heaven. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and uh, so this is going to be a, a more mature word, uh, but it's going to really empower and I think shift something. And many of you are going to step up to a plate that you've never been at. And you're going to swing and you're going to hit a home run for Jesus Christ. Amen. The title of my message is Set the City on Fire. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we ask for the impartation of that anointing. A spirit of discipleship. A spirit of multiplication. A spirit of raising sons and daughters in the faith to take this message to the regions and beyond. Father, we release that anointing and that equipping and that power tonight. And in Jesus' name, we ask you to have your way. Father, impart an anointing in Jesus' name. Come on, one more time. Give God a praise. Set the city on fire in the book of joshua chapter 8 verse 8 god told joshua and it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire and according to the command of the lord you shall do this i have commanded you how many believe that we're going to set miami on the holy ghost fuego come on somebody shout fuego come on fire And how are we going to do this? I'm going to give you three principles how. Number one, we must understand the great commission of Jesus Christ. 
And I don't, I'm not going to add all of the commission because it's also found in the book of the end of the book of, of Mark in chapter 16 where he says, uh, go preach the gospel, uh, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, speak with new tongues. If, de- if deadly poison gets a hold of you, it can't kill you. Come on, act like we are empowered to release the gospel. But I'm going to talk about the, this portion of the commission it's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus starts by saying to his disciples that he had poured into for three and a half years. And after they, he died and he rose from the dead, he's sitting with the, the apostles. He's sitting with all these disciples and not just the apostles, all of them. Some say up to 500. And he looked at them all and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on the earth. Now, when he said that, you have to understand what, what he's saying. He's telling the disciples, listen, all authority has been given to me in heaven, in earth, and in the spiritual realm. And he's basically saying to the disciples, listen, the same thing that was given to me is given to you. You must understand the weight of this text. uh, If if you're a a Baptist, a Methodist, a Pentecostal, a Charismatic, uh, a Lutheran, nobody will deny the weight of this particular scripture. Everybody, the Baptist, everybody will agree. This is the great commission or the most important scripture for a Christian in the sense of your purpose and your destiny. And it's like when somebody's dying. You know, as a pastor, I've been at the bed of many who've gone on. And usually those words in those last moments are the defining words of their life. Those are those words like they tell their loved ones, get along, forgive each other, uh, go for, do your best in life. Those are the words that are the totality of that individual. And, and, and so in some instances, it's been amazing. In some, it's been sad. I've seen people just breathing, trying to breathe for their last breath. And they really didn't have anything to say because they were afraid to go. But here, in a real sense, would be if would be the last words of God while he's still on the earth in the form of that he was in. And he comes to the disciples. I mean, this is the most important message. This is the most powerful message. This is the crescendo of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he comes to them and he says, All authority has been given to me all authority i've taken all the authority that adam and eve lost i went to hell i whooped the devil i took it back and i got it come on somebody act like he's got the authority and he took that authority and he didn't keep it he said tag you're it now so i want you to take this authority And then I want you to go with it. And that's what we call the go of the gospel. I want you to take this authority and I want you to win souls. I want you to save souls. So right there we find Jesus Christ telling every Christian that calls themselves a Christian, your number one assignment is to take the authority that I've given you and I want you to win souls for me. Come on, somebody act like you're a soul winning Church, 
This is not for the evangelist, for the pastor, for the prophet, for the apostle, or for the teacher. This is for everybody who names the name of Christ and says, I'm a Christian. Then Jesus says, tag, you're it. I've given you authority to get people born again. Come on, shout like you're a soul winner. That's why we have Brave Life, to prepare you for these things. But it is, it is the job of the church to equip us, to equip everyone in this room to do the Great Commission. Sometimes I think we've built a stardom church in America where it's all built on a preacher and a few leaders and we are the stars and people come to hear us, get excited, take what we give them and they go with it. But the church was really set up by God to be an equipping center to equip the people to do the work of ministry. Come on somebody. Can I, can I shift something today? So he said, you have authority. Why do you need authority to get people saved? Very simple. Because people that are not saved have what the Bible calls blinders. Spiritual demonic blinders. We've all, I was, before I was a Christian, I had those blinders. But thank God, I had a soul winner in the form of my mother who said the devil is a liar. The devil is not going to have my son my daughter or my other son and my mom took that authority and went into intercession and began to pray until the darkness lifted and then she came and spoke the words of salvation and I gave my life to Jesus Christ because my mom understood you ain't got to be a preacher to be a soul winner come on somebody say yeah Look at your neighbor and elbow your neighbor. Come on, grab their weave, shake them and slap them. Tell your neighbor, you're a soul winner. If you're a soul winner, give God a praise that he gave you a purpose. So many Christians come up to me and say, Pastor, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? Because we preach in purpose before you were formed. God gave you a purpose. We preach that. But I say, before you even focus on that purpose, this is already a purpose. This purpose is before any other purpose. This is a, this is a, if Jesus walked in this room right now, walked in here right now, and he said to you, and my great purpose for your life is for you to take this authority and go win souls. And then he goes on and make disciples. And then he left. There's your purpose. I said, there's your purpose. And we get all deep about, oh, God, in the third heaven, oh, the God of the universe, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Come on, somebody. The, the, the God of the Hebrew, the God that opened. Oh, God, what is my purpose? I don't have a purpose. It's to win souls, make disciples. Oh, I know, but oh, God. Come on, somebody. It's very true. Come on, shout. We're going to... I got... got, (laughs) Hey! All right. I I really need about three days with this, but we'll just do the best we can. Say, go therefore. And then not only get them saved, not only use your authority to get them saved, but that's not enough. And he goes, oh, you're not enough. Because if you just get them saved, you're going to end with just creating backsliders. And we've kind of seen that. 
In generations past, we fill up auditorium. We, we spend millions of dollars. We pack out coliseums, which I love and believe in. I support myself. We pack it out. We put an evangelist on the stage. We have a Christian band. Come on, somebody. We have a good show, and then the anointed evangelist gets up there, and he starts preaching Jesus, and he should. And then thousands come to the front. Thousands come to the front. Thousands are crying. They, give, they got born again. But my question is, how come the same people every year get saved? I mean, really, if that many people got saved every year, the whole, the whole, the whole L.A. would be saved. Because really, if you look at it, it's more of a recycling process. People get saved, and they never get taken care of. They never get discipled. And because they never get discipled, what happens? The enemy comes, the Bible says, and he steals what God did in their life. Because there's nobody to protect them. The actual word for discipleship is actually the word we call, we, it's, it's actually to mean, it means to child train somebody. To discipline, to develop. And so when people get born again, they're little tiny little babies. Born again. A baby Christian. And a baby can't defend itself. A baby needs to be carried. A baby needs to be fed milk and given bread and then meat. And eventually it grows up to be a whole man. And it can defend itself. And sometimes people get saved. And the churches, we say, oh, they're saved. They're born again. Praise God. No, the work has actually just begun. The work's barely started. And what happens? No, as Christians, he's given me, as Christians, not just pastors and managers, teachers, prophets. No, as Christians, he's given us an authority to cast out demons. So what happens? People come up, they get saved, or wherever they are, they get saved. And what happens? They're all messed up. They're all crazy. They're all, you know, come on, somebody. They're wandering. And then you have an authority to, to begin to rebuke those evil things in their life. And teaching them how to conquer. And little by little, they get free under your care. See, that's where it stopped. You feel that, you feel that resistance? Did you feel that? That's all over America. That resistance. Because now the responsibility just left pastors and leaders. And now it just got on you. It's going to get quieter. I'm not even going to get to point two and three. I already know it. But revival's in three. But we can't get to three unless we go through one. Because once you come with the real gospel, it changes religion. Because the, the real gospel, I, one of my friends is, is a great pastor. He's, he's over 600 churches. And he did his doctorate. Two of his, two of his elders did their doctorate on how, the death of a movement. Because they don't want their movement to die because they're getting older now. They don't want it to die with them. And so they said, how do movements die? And so they did a, their thesis on the death of a movement. And the one thing that blew my mind, the death of a movement, one of them is irrelevancy. Um, you don't, you're not connected to the culture, so the gospel's dated, outdated, so you can't connect. The other one was over-relevancy, over-contextualization of culture. And that is a, a, a becoming so carnal and, and, so, and so worldly that the gospel loses its power. And, and, and we start saying things like, you can't teach that in this city because the people won't receive it. And we start compromising the gospel uh, for culture. And the gospel was never ever to fit into culture. It was to change culture. But the Bible did say, it did say that in the last days that the devil would raise up preachers 
who would preach what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. And, and whose fault would that be? It wouldn't be the preacher, it'd be the people. It said that the people would raise up preachers to tell us what we want to hear. Don't tell us the truth, tell us a lie. Don't tell us truth, tell us a lie. Can I keep going? And so, what's, and, and so one of the over-contextualizations that they studied in, this, in their thesis of a death of a movement, the 11, the 11 ways a movement died, one of them was amazing. He said, he says, when, the, when, the, when, the, when, when we stop teaching and building systems for the lay people or the congregation to begin to step up and be into leadership, and then we, we, we refer to leadership as pastors and a few leaders, and it's hierarchy. At that point, the, what are the, what, then what happens to the people? They're no longer equipped to do what God put in them to do. And so then you have to create a pseudo-mechanism called religion to appease the people's consciousness so they can live their life with a good conscience but never doing God's will. Never. And so there's a constant frustration in them, and they know there's more, they know there's more, they know there's more, but if it's never awakened, eternity's never awakened, the purpose of God is never awakened, then they die on the vine silently. The Great Commission. This is Gospel 101. You never hear it. So when the Lord started dealing with me on discipleship, I started looking all over America. Like, where is discipleship? I couldn't find it anywhere. I literally had to spend a year and a half of my life getting on an airplane because one of my friends at that time, God was using him. Oh, he still is, but he was traveling all over the globe. So I said, can I just piggyback with you, man? Because what I'm looking for, I'm not finding here. So when I got an airplane. I went to France. I went to Asia, South America, Africa. I traveled all over. And I noticed the greatest revivals that I saw. Churches you step into, 100,000, 200,000, a half a million, a million people. I mean, full-on moves of God. People getting out of wheelchairs. I'm talking moves of God. Moves of God. I'd step in and I'd realize, oh my God, this is a congregation that's been activated to do the Great Commission. This is a congregation that's not into hero worship, but it's into Jesus worship. And they have literally built systems to activate the congregation to do what God had called them to do. And what is that? You've been given authority to save souls and you've been given authority to make, come on, shout disciples. And it was interesting as I, as I went from, from nation to nation. From mega, mega, mega church to mega, mega, mega church. And they, and they all spoke different languages. They all looked different. Some were darker. Some had slanted eyes. Some had big eyes. Some had, di- di- I mean, a different nation. They, they're just different. But they all had the same thing in common. The same principles. These people never talked. They never had conversation. They never knew each other. But it was amazing to me that I could be in Africa in a revival with the discipleship church model. Then I could go to South America. Then I could go to Asia. Then I could go to even Australia. And everywhere I went, they never knew each other, but they were doing the same thing. They were building systems in their church to get everybody to become a soul winner and a disciple maker. And that's when revival hits the church. Not when three or four 
leaders are anointed, but when everybody is anointed, how are you going to stop that devil? Come on. Elbow your neighbor and say you're anointed. That's now, doesn't it make sense when you read the Bible? Because you have Apostle Paul, he's dead, Peter's dead, John's dead, James is dead, they're all dead, and the church is growing, and the church is growing. Paul is in a prison at one time, and the church is growing. Why? Because it's not built on a man, it's built on the principle of being brave. Church is stepping into a oh, somebody act like brave life, and brave church is stepping into a season of disciples. Oh, oh, So if I say, tag, you're it. Take care of my people. Now all of a sudden, you begin to look in the mirror and say, well, wait a minute. Uh, I'm not ready to take care of people. Why? Well, I have these areas in my life. Well, we're not looking for perfection, but there is qualifications. That's why Jesus took three and a half years to develop them. Because he realized, you're not ready, Peter. You're too selfish. You may get mad at a disciple, try to cut their ear off. Come on, somebody. You may cuss a disciple out. So come on. Look at Jesus, the model. Let me tell you, and let me ask you a question. If I told you, you have three and a half years to change the world, what are you going to do? I remember a few years ago, you'd ask me that. I would have said, I would have rent the Coliseums in L.A. Uh, I would have I would, I would hired some movie stars to, 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 to testify about Jesus. Uh, I'd put billboards, uh, social media, uh, 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 Facebook, Instagram. Uh, uh, I'll do uh, Twitter maybe. You know, I'll try. Uh, 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 billboards, uh, magazines, uh, 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 flyers, uh, uh, mass marketing. And Jesus said, I wouldn't do any of that. I would just find me 12 jokers. <laughs> the most unqualified 12 you could ever think of. Think about it. Peter, James, Peter's like Peter. James is like James. And John is like all sensitive. Come on, somebody. Thomas is doubting. Judas is stealing. Are you hearing me? These were all jacked up. And and their jacked upness didn't intimidate Jesus. He wasn't like, oh, you're all jacked up. Forget it. I'm going to get me some perfect folk. No, he's going to form them. He's going to develop them. He's going to mature them. And when they're ready, he's going to anoint them. And then go do what I did. Come on, somebody shout in here. Jesus said, listen, watch what I do, do what I do, and then you could do what I do. And he takes him on a journey, and he takes three and a half years, and he forms them, and he develops them. He raises them like his own. And that's when the Lord really dealt with me about discipleship. He said, Jason, you have three children. I said, yes, I have three beautiful children. He goes, and um, do you correct them? I'm like, Yeah. A lot? Yeah. Because they fight and all this. Nobody? Okay. 
and they're mad at each other, and it's like, I take the trash out, and then go, the trash is not there. Brush your teeth, smell the breath, put deodorant, okay. Make your bed, wake up. I mean, it's, it, honestly, discipleship is like, when you're a parent, it's like, literally, I go, I go to bed at night, I don't even have to go to work. I can go to bed. I just take care of my kids all day. Like on Saturday, all I do is take care of my kids because it's, it's our Sabbath. So Saturday, I'm just with the kids. That's it. I'm not working. Just kids at 7 o'clock at night. Like right now, I'm done. I'm like, come on, somebody. All I did was be an, all I was was a parent. But why would I be willing to pour into those three little guys? Well, one's not so little. He's bigger than me now. But to me, they're little guys. The Lord said, why would you do that? Why would you correct them? Why would you hug them? Why would you embrace them? Why would you envision them? Why would you spend all your time? I said, because they're my kids. Because you love them, right? I said, yes. He said, what about my kids? And he asked, when he asked me, he said, will you raise up people for me, Mil, who will take care of my kids like they take care of their kids? And I said, yes, Lord. And that was the beginning of what we created at Freedom. We have almost seven, 800 students right now. In our, in our school, we have almost 400 small groups, leaders being raised up. We have, it's amazing. But that was the heart of it. I want to do the Great Commission. I want to help raise God's kids so we don't great, create a, a revival of backsliders where people get saved and you can't find them. No, they're going to stay. They're going to stick. They're going to get taken care of. They're going to be developed. And then they're going to be launched. Come on, clap. Come on, dinner parties. Are you here? Do not be unwise, not smart, but understand what the will of the Lord is for your life. The eyes of your understanding, we pray, are enlightened, opened, that you would know what is the hope, what is the hope, here it is, what is the hope of his calling? He didn't say my calling. What is the hope of his calling? Watch this. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? That's a mind blower. Because I've heard about my calling. But the, here it says, what is the hope or the dream of God? What is the father's calling? What is, what is his hope? What is he hoping for? If you had a, a one-on-one with God and say, God, what do you want to happen? What's your dream? What's your dream, Lord? I know I'm telling you I want a dream, but what's your dream? What's your hope? What, what, what's your dream? And then it says, not only that, what is his inheritance in the saints? Who's the saints? Say, I'm a saint. They didn't make it a Super Bowl this year, but praise the Lord. He said, you're a saint. He said, so in your life, I want an inheritance. I know you've given me an inheritance, but God says, I didn't just give you inheritance. I also want to get an inheritance out of you. The father's dream. Have you thought about that? Have you, have you really thought about God's hope? God's inheritance out of your life? Once you come to this level, why are you to actually change 99.9% of the people? Because now this will really require you to actually change. Because if you're going to take care of God's people, then you have to let the work be done in your life. You can't disciple somebody if you've never been discipled. 
See how quiet it gets? I'm going to keep driving until we break this thing. Because you said, you said you wanted revival. And I believed it. That's why I came. You said it. You prayed for it. What do you think is going to happen when 500 people get saved on a Sunday? Every Sunday for 52 weeks. What do you think happens when the, the Spirit of God hijacks this place on another level? And all of a sudden, all your brothers and sisters and your aunts and your uncles and your moms and your dad and your Theo and your Thea and your nephew and your niece, when they all come and get saved, what, what do you, we, somebody better be here to take care of them. Otherwise, God won't send them. Can I keep digging? Yeah. And now, if, you ready? Yeah. It's going to change everybody's life. Yeah. And now, if, if you're going to leave, if you're going to leave, and you really don't want, because what I'm about to say, I'm going to ruin your life. So act like you're going to the restroom, because what I'm going to say, you can never unhear what I'm about to say. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to go. Just say, I'm going to go to the restroom. Nine. Eight. Seven. Six, five, four, three, two, one. Too bad. You ready? As a matter of fact, you're gonna, God's going to use you to say this. Turn to your neighbor. And say, how you doing? My name is Jim Willoughby. How you doing? My name is Jose. Come on, somebody. My name is Juan, Pedro, Mark, Junior, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. Come on, somebody. Now what? <laughs> Tell your neighbor. Say, neighbor. I got a word from the law. I got a word. Now give them the law. Huh. Now give them that eye like you got a word. Now tell your neighbor. Say neighbor. Thus says the Lord. Every Christian. Is called by God. To be a soul winner. And a disciple maker. So where's your disciples? Turn to your other neighbor and say, neighbor, every Christian has been called by Jesus. Right there in the Bible has been given authority to win souls and to make them disciples. Where are your disciples? I told you I'm not going to get off point one, but it's fine. I'll be back.
It's anointed in here. <laughs> hey, the devil's nervous about this message. I can sense it. You know, all this weekend has brought us to this moment because somebody is about to be released into the vision of Jesus Christ. Why is it so strong in here? Because Jesus is backing me up. Because he wants this done more than I want this done. He's one. If we get a hold of this, Jesus should have already come back. But we're asleep as a church. But God is about to release fire on the church. And the church is going to get alive again. So, so when I was 19, I got saved, and I heard a pastor preaching, my pastor, and he said, you're going you're to stand before God, and there's going to be a judgment that's going to happen. You're not going to be judged in the area of going to heaven, you're already Christian. But the judgment will come when you stand before that great throne. And he's going to reward you for what you did for him in this life. And my, and, and my pastor said, and what you want to hear. 19, I'm a kid. He said, what you want to hear is you want to hear him tell you, well done, my good and my faithful servant. You were faithful over the few. Now I give you many. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. I heard that. I was half addicted still. Trying to get better. All jacked up. But I heard that. And I said, that's what I'm going to live for. That's right, that's right there. Simplified my life. So I stepped into a wisdom of a 19-year-old. And I blew, my, I blew the wisdom of the earth out of the water. I stepped into eternal wisdom. And I began to live for eternity. And I said, Lord, I'm going to live for that moment. So all of a sudden, I stepped out of a 19-year-old mentality. And my mentality shifted to a mindset of Jesus and eternity. And from that moment to this moment, all I've, all I've wanted to do is build my life in such a manner to hear those words. And I want my children to hear those words. And I want the members under my care to hear those words. And I pray to God that you would want to hear those words. Well, come on, somebody. I pray to God. Well done. Oh, and I look him. And that day I'm face to face with him. And I see him as he is. My Lord, when nobody wanted me, he took me in. I want him to tell me, well done. Hear those words, faithful servant. 
I wonder if there's anybody here that would want to hear those words. And I think... We've limited it to pastors and preachers in Bible college. In Bible college, you want to, we, we were taught that. But I realized, without knowing it, I had exempted the congregation from that. I had, quote unquote, protected them from that. And I realized I was missing God. And the Lord says, why have you let them off the hook? I never let you off the hook. Who gave you the right to let them off the hook? And I repented and everything changed. And when I started preaching this, some people didn't like it. You want to know why? Because for 10 years I told them Christianity was all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you, church member. And once you told them it's not just about you. It's actually about you help. It's about you getting better. So you can eventually help somebody else get better. So what did you tell the people? You basically told them, I pastored a bunch of babies. And you could be a baby. You could have been in church for 30 years and still be a baby. How do you know you're not a baby? I want to see your disciples. Come on, clapper. (laughs) When you tell them, I'm not going to change your diaper anymore. You're going to have to start changing somebody else's diaper. This is how you do it. You pull it down. You get the wipes. I do. Come on, somebody. And then you throw it away. And you put the powder and you put another diaper. And then you give them a baba. And you take care of them. And then they grow up. And then eventually you teach them how to do the same. That's normal humanity. Everyone understands that. Eventually a child will become a parent. But in Christianity, we're abnormal. We expect people to be babies after 47 years of serving God. And we've built a system called religion that facilitates it every Sunday. And we appease the conscience. And I'm raising up an army. firm believer that God is saying, I'm spitting it out of my mouth. And I'm raising up an army that the gates of hell shall not prevail against. And I'm believing God that right here in Miami, God could raise up a group of people that say, you know what? Here I am. Go ahead and send me, Lord. I want to do your will. If that's you, give God a shout of praise like you believe it. Stand on your feet. See, David, the fire of God doesn't make any sense if you're not doing the Great Commission. It's just an experience, and it's an encounter weekend. So we didn't just do an encounter. We said from encounter, brave life. Why? Because it's just another weekend. Ooh, that was awesome. I got touched. Amazing. But the fire is not just for that. The fire breaks what? Indifference. It breaks selfishness. It breaks, it's all about me. 
It breaks it and it gives you purpose and destiny and fraggle. And I want to do God's will. And I want to cast out a devil. And I want to heal the sick. And I want to change lives. That's what it's for. That's why he said, don't you leave Jerusalem until you get endowed with power from on high. And when you get that power, you go with that power and you change Miami forever. Shout yeah. If I'm going to tell you what the devil is afraid of. He's not just afraid of you being a soul winner and a disciple maker. He's afraid of that. But this is his worst nightmare. When the people of God were multiplying, it freaked Pharaoh out. And Pharaoh said, we better do something about this multiplication. Because if they keep multiplying, there's no way we can stop them. And that's what the devil tries to do when revival hits. He tries to say, he, 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 stop the multiplication. And all of a sudden, you begin to build something like Brave Life. And then you add components. And you begin to build this thing out. And all of a sudden, leaders are raising leaders. And leaders are raising leaders upon leaders. And all of a sudden, the church becomes like a machine. Like a la machina. Come on. It becomes a baby discipleship machine people getting saved people getting delivered people getting raised people getting saved people getting delivered people getting raised people get come on that man that's a nightmare for the devil that's why in the book of acts chapter six study it it says that the number of disciples multiplied and and then the enemy attacked then they set leadership and they organized everything so they can do it more and then it says that the number of the disciples multiplied greatly and that's what you're after right now great multiplication and it's gonna it's gonna take more than pastor and leaders and a few committed people it's gonna take all 2,000 members at some point saying pastor I see it it's in the Bible right there God called me to save souls make this out pastor I'm not ready I'm, I'm a little cra- I'm a little cochina still I get it but could you help could, I'm, I'm still a little wild pastor but could you help me just a, enough so I can help people because God's not looking for perfection but he's looking for those that are willing to be perfected that's matured come on say amen somebody and I guess I I want to make a call to discipleship And in our context, it would be at least getting into brave life. And then from brave life, eventually opening up a dinner party. That's what, in our context at brave, this would be our context. This this is how we disciple. And if this is the case, then I wonder if there's people in this room today that would say, Pastor, I want to do God's will. I'm willing to change. I'm willing to let God work on me so I can be trusted with his babies I, 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 I want to do that pastor I want to step up to the calling of God on my life if that's you it'd be my honor to pray and anoint you tonight for what he's called you to do I feel like you should get out of your chair and not even walk up here some of you should run already come on and we're going to worship God in this place 
and we're going to give ourselves away to the calling of God on our lives. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Brave Church. For more information or to get in touch with us, visit us at bravemiami.com.